I am very happy to introduce Elizabeth Soto Albright to you this morning, or Ellie, as many of us know her. Ellie grew up in Puerto Rico and Chicago and came to Lancaster a while back, uh, circa 1990? Yeah. Something like that? Okay. Mm -hmm. Mo um, married Frank Albright, moved to a house on South Ann Street, and became part of a small kind of intentional community that Marlisa and I were also part of. And it's a group that informally continues to meet today. Together, her and Frank worked for a total of eight years in, with Mennonite Mission Network and Mennonite Central Committee in Columbia, and their two children were born there. Ellie holds a doctorate of ministry and is the author of several books. The most recent, published in 2020, I think, is one she co-edited with Daryl Stevens called Liberating the Politics of Jesus, Renewing Peace Theology Through the Wisdom of Women. Ellie has served as the, uh, has served as the moderator, moderator of, let's see, uh, there's other, another thing you wrote here that I, yeah. She's also uh, wrote the uh, summer edition of Salt and Light, the Bible study for Anabaptist Christians, which I think two Sunday school classes are using right now in their Sunday school, or in their second hour study. Ellie served as the moderator of the Mennonite Church USA from 2013 to 2015. Um, she led Mennonite Disaster Services response in Puerto Rico after the Hurricane Maria. She is a member of Laurel Street Mennonite Church, which meets um, across town on Laurel Street. And we're very glad to have you here this morning, Ellie. Um, and I am really looking forward to your reflections on peace. Thank you for this honor. This is a beautiful space. I don't know if you, you're so accustomed of coming here and singing four-part harmony that maybe you don't value it that much. But when I see the beautiful architecture, um, the benches and, and the way it's planned, it just sounds, it looks very beautiful from this angle very welcoming as well. Greetings from my congregation, Laurel Street Mennonite. Occasionally they give me permission to come in and uh, share the word in different communities. Since the start of this year, 2022, we started always in January to do a series of Anabaptism. Um, Going back, since we have new people at Laurel Street usually from different faith traditions or just neighbors that join us as well. So we take time to do the Anabaptist teaching. I've been doing a lot of reflection about this. So this is part of a series of that. But at the same time, I want to say that the scripture, Romans 12, has been with me, um, very close to me this month. My older daughter gently got married with Sam, and they live now in West Philly. And they asked me to co-officiate their wedding in Spokane, Washington. I didn't want to co-officiate. I just wanted to be the, the mother of the bride, but I had no option. The good part was, as mommy, you will be co-officiating. So you will be with Sam's grandmother, who is an elder Methodist minister. And I said, oh, great. That sounds good. So we did that first 
COVID weddings is part number one, is the cozy one with eight people last year. And number two is the big, big fiesta, right? So we did both aspects. And Romans 12 was the scripture that they selected. I both had a little mini sermon there. But this occasion, two weeks ago, I was given only five minutes. Five minutes, and mommy is going to be 35 minutes the whole service. So we get there, and we do everything, you only have five minutes. So, and I got afraid, how am I going to do five minutes of this beautiful text that I was digging in and getting very familiar and excited with, and then speak with a group of people, young adults, from Princeton University, from the University of Med School, from all the high-tech people that Sam knows, and people that I don't know, five minutes. Can I do this? I'm just a church person. And it was a very somewhat secular environment. So I confessed this apprehensiveness to my co-officiant, 84-year-old Methodist minister. She says, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling kind of afraid. Do I have anything to say? Keep it safe. Don't rock. Don't, don't be too churchy. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? Let's do our thing. <laughs> these people, these young people have not been in church for a long time. <laughs> Let's bring church to them. She liberated me. I loved it. I'm, I'm the minister of the word, and this is it. And if you give me one minute, I'm going to give it to you. So it's those awkward moments and places that you put in that I teach at the seminary when I used to be there, that we are minister not only of this environment, but of the community. And sometimes we forget and we jeopardize who we are. I'm 63 years old. I'm tired of pretending to be what other people want me to be. So I was just, gently, you have a mother that's a minister, and you, you invited us, we are going to give it to you. So we did. OK. I love this sex, and I fell in love with it. And more and more, it was getting ready to, to present. I couldn't let it go. It was in my soul, and I wanted to for you to join with me to go underneath this text. So this is something I'm going to do. I'm going to work who Paul is, his context, the context of the community in Rome. It is important to understand that Paul is writing to a community that he has never visited, that he doesn't know. He doesn't know is in being in the flesh there. But he knows its leaders. Biblicist Latin America, Biblicist El Satames, that writes about the Roman, the book, the letter to the Romans, writes a beautiful commentary in Spanish, and I think some of it has been translated. And she said, although he has never been yet in Rome, he knows the leadership. More history before that, the context of Paul is that he had been receiving the Jews who were kicked out of Rome in, the, in 57. Claudius decided to sweep, sweep the, the city and kick out the Jews. And you know where they ended? Back in Jerusalem. 
and Paul received them. So he knew about what was going on, the church planting, the excitement in Rome, and then the persecution to the Jews in that city. So Paul knows about it through the leaders. It is important that part of the leadership is Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila, a couple. Now, another hypothesis that I really love is that the commentary tells us about Romans is that Paul is dictating it probably to Phoebe, a Gentile woman. She is writing this in Greek. Not only that, she delivers it back to Rome. So I want to imagine this Phoebe influential gentle gentile woman very financially very well off her greek name is titanis which is a greek god but her other name is phoebe now imagine this she is writing it and she's thinking about how i'm going to deliver this message and when she is in these house churches she needs to imitate the intonation, the emphasis of all that Paul wanted to deliver. But what's going on in Paul's mind? He is changing. We see a very mature, older man writing this letter to the Romans. It's not the Paul, the young Paul, that encountered Jesus on the way. He's become a little older now, more mature. His theology has been embedded. He knows what he believes. In the letter of Romans, that first letter is his thesis. All his life is in there. And he knows that he is the apostles of the Gentiles. He knows to whom he is writing. That's Paul. Now, in Rome, the letter is sent to around five or six house churches. Some of these house churches already have been identified in Rome where they were located. Some in the north were more the wealthiest Gentile people that had more money, and some had some stores. But those poor communities were more, the other ones were in the ports. Now, in the ports is where you enter Rome. And there were the poor communities or these house churches that maybe didn't have all the space to get together. These were the early immigrants where they landed. If you didn't have any money to go further than the ports, that's where you live. So the communities in that Paul is writing is very diverse. So we have wealthy Gentiles. We have Jewish people arriving, immigrants. We have slaves and slave owners. We have men and women. We have immigrants from all the provinces controlled by the Roman Empire. This is the component. Now sometimes we have the illusion that how beautiful diversity is. And we want to become diverse. Now we all know that diversity is messy and is painful. And you are going to have 
ethnic problems, and you are going to have theological problems, and you are going to have prejudices, and these communities were full of those conflicts. And Paul knew it. That's what he is addressing. So the whole aspect of harmony, which is another way of saying peace, but relating to relationships, is what Paul is trying to communicate here. Now, I want to invite you to read the book of Romans like I read from a commentary from Scott McKnight. He wrote a book called Reading Romans Backwards, A Gospel of the Peace in the Midst of the Empire. So he says, do you know the 16 chapters of Romans? You really have to start in chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15, and then read it backwards. So what he's saying, Romans 12 and 14 is the heart. And Romans 1 to 11 is just the pretext is the starting, the introduction. This is the heart of it. I love that particular aspect. And another aspect that um, my knight says, you have to read this text with about power and privilege. It is messy. It is painfully messy what's going on in Rome, but it's a reality. So he puts the lens of power and, priv and privilege. And then he talks about it's not uniformity what Paul is trying to prescribe, describe for the Roman believers. It's about Christoformity. I love that word. Christoformity, not uniformity. And this Christoformity has a price. That means those who have power have to give it up. And those who feel do not have power don't think you're going to go here, but you have to meet in the equal place. Now that's easy to describe, very painful to do. So keep the word, not uniformity, but Christoformity. Now, that's about Paul. You know that Paul's writings appear before the Gospels. And now I want to take you to the Gospels. Because Jesus is saying exactly the same thing according to the community of Matthew. So our Matthew 5, 38 to 48, and I'm just going to read a little bit about you have heard that it is said you, have, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of, fa of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteousness and the unrighteousness. So the encounter with Paul, with the risen God, he did not read where he arrived in regards to the message of harmony. Jesus is trying to do the project already. And we all believe, as good Mennonite Anabaptists, that these are the 
basis of our nonviolence theology, of movement that has taken lives, of movement that is not easy to implement, the aspect of loving your enemy. I used to believe in a very naive way, I don't have any enemies. And you know what, as I get older, I wake up and I say, I do have enemies. And what, what category, where am I going to place them in my life? One social analysis that helps me is the aspect of the in-group and the out-group. So the in-group is here, people that believe like me, that live a similar lifestyle, that believe in Jesus like I do, that's my in-group that I feel very comfortable with. Now my out-group could be neighbors that I don't like when they make this awful noise in the streets, right? Or they, they move in and they just bring in bad habits. Jesus helped me to love them. Jesus helped me to cross the street and say, mira, 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 eso no se hace. We don't do that here. I don't like their behavior, but I am called to love them through the love of Jesus. How do I do this? And then lately I've been thinking, am I too involved with the in-group that I forget the out-group? Or there is time in which these in-groups and out-groups don't exist. That is why I love my role as a community medical interpreter. I go to offices, I go to the hospital, I could be in the, in the middle of a, of a woman having a baby, or a man having a surgery, or somebody having in the cath lab, or anything. I'm there with them, holding their voice, trying to interpret their pain to the doctor trying to advocate for them. And I do not know them more than, hello, my name is Elizabeth Soto, and today I'll be your interpreter. Another place that I'm trying to place myself in places that are really uncomfortable, I have started an initiative called Women's Global Village. And this spring, we met with around 10 immigrant women at the five 450 North Prince, we call the hub now, EMM office. They've given us space to meet every Wednesday to learn how to sew and do crafts. So we have women from Sudan, Muslims, Bulma, Bhutan, and a lady from Guatemala. Their English is very low, and I only have Spanish and English. So how do I communicate with them? Do they trust me? If I tell the story about my immigrant struggles in this country, well, can I connect with them? Some are believers, like I am, and others are not. And that is okay. Can we learn how to do crafts so we could move from the margin to the marketplace together? Those are ideas that started quite 
great in my head. But when I try to do that, it becomes a challenge. But we're getting ready again now in the fall to start with a new group over at the hub and try again to learn how to sew and do crafts. So for me, the Woman Global Village is a not church initiative, is a way of extending solidarity with other immigrant women, finding a way for their financial income to be better. Going back to the text, so both Paul and Jesus are saying love is the value base. It's where we start. And peace is ultimately that goal. And justice is a requirement to get there. Nonviolence is the method. How do I achieve that call? Now, another writer that's been with me this week is uh, a young Mennonite woman, Melissa Flor Bixler. And she wrote this great book called How to Have an Enemy. That was a hard one to read. But she says, it is not enough to listen to the call of enemy love from the distance. Instead, the call of Jesus to build love in the midst of destruction. The best peacemaker is not the one that comfortably in their desk, in her desk, in their desk, they write. It's when the messy destruction happens. The best peacemakers in Colombia was when they were trying to live 40 years of war. There is when you have to figure out what peace means. My people is we are going living so much mass killing, school shootings, street violence, brutality toward people of color from the police force. There in that destruction is where we are called to make sense of our theology, to work our theology, to go into the messiness of the out-group and even break those walls between the in-group and the out-group. In September of 2020, Laurel Street had an encounter with death. Ricardo Munoz was killed five hours after our worship that Sunday across the street from our church. All of a sudden, we had to confront a neighborhood that had been that was feeling traumatized by that violence. White, black, Latinos. And as I tried to gather all the, all the Latino churches in that block, believe me, Laurel Street in the middle, Alpha Omega is here, Baptist, South Baptist is here in three blocks, three churches. And there's a Pentecostal church meeting with us Sunday afternoons. So I told our pastors, Ron and Judy, let's come in for a prayer walk. The South Baptist said, we don't want to do anything political. No, no. So don't worry, it won't be political. But we have to hit the streets. We have to say our Christianity matters. Come and pray. Come and join your neighbors. Come and declare that the violence that was done here does not have the last word. 
but we will rebuild. We will make this place a safer place for all our children and everyone. That is the way we move into a culture of peace, of nonviolence. Let me finish saying this again. When Paul is writing about harmony in Romans 12, he is writing about peace. It is another way of saying peace, but it talks about harmonious relationship with one another. What Paul is saying, hey guys, if you don't have your act together among these house churches that are divisive and fighting each other, the Jewish people want it this way, the Gentiles are resisting, but the Gentiles are saying, hey, we are the minority, you are the minority, you can get kicked out of here in any moment. That problem, that fight, if we don't have our act together and live the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we cannot be pretend to go to the Roman Empire. Because ultimately our goal is the Roman Empire. So peace in this scripture of Romans 12 in Greek is a verb, is an action, is to be peaceful, to live that. My people, it is not easy. It's getting tougher and tougher and tougher. But I think it's more and more difficult. The calling is higher and higher and higher. And this is where I tell, and this is why I like to think about peace is not something I just sit on it and say, I'm a peaceful person. Peace is something that we do and we work at day and night with my neighbors, with my children, with their spouses. Now let me finish with the prayer. The Diocese of Baltimore developed a prayer for June 19. And it has been celebrated among the African-American communities for a long time. Now for the last two years, has become a more official celebration. And Friday, downtown at 11 o'clock, we started celebrating this. It's incredible that it took two and a half years from the Emancipation Proclamation to arrive to Texas to finally figure out, oh yeah, we are free. But we know that laws are only one way of proclaiming freedom unless you live within that freedom. So we pray as our Catholic brothers and sisters in Baltimore. We pray in saying, oh Lord, for change, Jesus, you revealed God through your wise words and loving deeds. And we encounter you today in the faces of who in society are pushed to the margins. Guide us through the love you revealed to establish the justice you proclaim that all people might, might dwell in harmony and in peace. Unite us in your love and bind us 
to each other and to you. May it be so, que así sea, en el nombre de Dios Padre, Dios Hijo, Dios Espíritu Santo. Amén. Dios les bendiga. God bless you.